Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port here on 970 WDAY. This is the Rob Report. Good afternoon, Atil. How are you? Pretty great. It's been a, a long day for Eric and I. We've had two shows going on, so I'm glad that somebody else gets to yap for a little bit. Yeah. I had a good weekend other than the weather. It's been kind of crummy weather, and are you are you guys getting snow in Minot We right have now? snow. We've had snow all weekend. Okay, we've, we've managed to avoid the snow so far. It's been a little moist down here today, but it sounds like we're going to escape the snow. I feel very sorry for you. Yeah. Well, it's not been fun, but I guess it is what it is. Uh, we have uh, on joining me in just a moment going to be Department of uh, North Dakota Department of Corrections uh, Director Leanne Birch. We're going to talk about some of that legislation. Uh, Governor Doug Burgum announcing Friday he had signed uh, what he's calling justice reinvest- reinvestment legislation and additional bills aimed to uh, provide support for people suffering from behavioral health issues and substance abuse while substantially reducing our corrections costs. And I think that last part is what we're going to be focused on uh, with uh, Leanne Birch. Also, State Representative Jim Casper, Republican from Fargo. We're going to talk with him about the property tax issues. The State House last week passing a cap on property tax increases. What's the State Senate going to do? What is the picture property taxes going to be coming out of this session? Because we're at risk of some pretty big increases. So we'll talk with uh, State Representative Jim Casper about that. Plus your phone call, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Or you can send me tweets, too, at Rob Port. Now, uh, my director, or uh, my director, my guest, Director Birch. Uh, Leanne, welcome to the program. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being on. Uh, I want to, one of the stats that jumped out at me from Governor Burgum's uh, press release uh, he, he pointed out that our prison populations had grown 32% between 2005 and 2015. Before we get into the impacts of this most recent legislation, lay out the scope of the problem, because I'm not sure a lot of people realized just how big a problem prison crowding was in, in our state, or is, I guess. Well, if you look at it, so in between say even between 1992 and 2017, we had a 277% increase in the parole and probation counts and a 249% increase in the prison counts, even though our state during that time only grew 18.8%. So, um, you know, we've just been on a, a, an uptick, and during the oil boom, it was even a more of a rapid increase. And I think the sustainability of that growth really um, got people's attention. So, so what are we doing now? I mean, Governor Burgum obviously announced he signed a number of bills aimed at addressing prison population. How are we doing it? I mean, what, what, what specifically is this policy implementing that's going to help us address the, the, this prison population issue? Well, I think the, the laws that were just signed into place um, are they're interconnected. So there was a number of bills. I think the big one was House Bill 1041, which was the bill that came out of the Incarceration Issues Committee. That was an interim committee that was tasked with looking um, and working with the Council of State Governments Justice Center on the whole justice reinvestment. Um, Really what 1041 did is it um, dealt with um, a lot of the um, sentences around drug possession. Um, it increased um, and actually awards good time now for individuals who are sitting pretrial in the jail, uh, which will save real money. And then it authorizes a pretrial service pilot project. And along with some of the other pieces, such as 1269, which dealt with minimum mandatories, 
um, as well as 1341. But then also um, we had some pretty um, major um, legislation that was contained in the Department of Corrections Appropriation Bill, um, Senate Bill 2015, and, and that piece of legislation is really where we're going to see the big savings that allow us to reinvest some of that money into behavioral health, and that is really the um, inmate prioritization plan that enables the state correction system as well as the county system to prioritize admission of inmates into their system um, based on capacity and based on um, the ability to um, contract for more housing within their budget. Um, so that's really the overview of some of those pieces that we hope will reduce some of the pressure on the front end and the inmate prioritization plan actually puts a hard cap on the number of inmates that will be allowed into our um, correction system, both at the state and the county level. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Now, I, I like these reforms. I'm a supporter. Count me with it. But I imagine some of our listeners playing devil's advocate here are hearing you talk about a hard cap on the number of prisoners we, we put in prison or, or, or that we're putting into, in, into some of these, these prisons. I mean, what do you say to people who, who are afraid that we're going to have people who are dangerous and not have them in, in prison. I mean, is that, how do you address that concern? Well, I think the prioritization plan basically directs that we're going to put the, the violent and the more serious ones into jail and prisons first. And if you look at um, the information that came out of the study during the interim, 70% of the judges indicated that they um, send low-risk nonviolent people into prison just to access behavioral health services such as um, addiction services. Um, we also know at the county level that 80 to 90% of the people sitting in jail at any given time are pretrial detainees. And so there's a huge um, ability to impact that population by prioritizing who really needs to be there. We have a lot of people who are way above the national average, which is around 60% at the, at, uh, for pretrial detainees. We know that there's a lot of people that are being held because we don't have any type of pretrial service program in North Dakota, which the new legislation basically directs a pilot project and I think that needs to be a priority to actually start reducing some of the people held at the local level. Is this a shift in attitude in, in North Dakota's approach to criminal justice? Because I, that's how I'm perceiving it. I guess what I'm perceiving here is in the back, in, in, in the past, we had a kind of throw the book at them approach, right? Like if, if you commit crimes and we put you in jail, that's what we're doing. We're, you know, get tough was the attitude. And now it seemed with, with this Governor Burgum signing this legislation with the legislature obviously passing this legislation. I sense a shift more towards a sense of pragmatism where we're going to you know, start to maybe apply some common sense and say not every person who gets caught up in a criminal situation, prison isn't necessarily the right place for all of those people. There are other options, and we're going to give some flexibility to our judges and other personnel to make decisions. Is that a fair assessment of what's going on here? Yes, I would absolutely agree with that. I think that there's been a softening of the um, lock them up type of attitude. I don't think that's totally gone away. I really think that um, a number of factors came together. Um, and I think um, the budget impact, um, the budget stress had a lot to do with it, recognizing that we just can't keep up um, the cost 
of locking everyone up. It costs uh, over $41,000 a year just to lock someone up within the State Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. And the fact of the matter is we should be really looking at um, how we use that high-end resource, and there's a better way of addressing the needs of some of these lower-level individuals. And I think there was also a, a lot of um, agreement that um, North Dakota has con just continued to increase the number of penalties on the books and increase penalties. And I think when you look at it is what we were, what were we really getting from this? We were doing the same thing over and over, and I don't think anyone could really point to say that's really increasing public safety just by locking them up. And in fact, in a lot of cases, we were taking some of the lower level individuals and probably making them more criminal. 701-293-9000, Just a couple minutes left with Leanne Birch, uh, Director of the Department of Corrections. So in, in, the, in, in the short term, what sort of changes can the average member of the public, I mean, obviously the average member of the public isn't getting involved in the criminal justice system because most of us don't commit crimes. But I, I guess as a member of the public observing, what are some of the things that, that maybe the taxpayers are going to see right away the benefits from this? Well, I think, you know, some of the, the things are hopefully that um, if we can get the uh, risk assessment, pretrial risk assessment up and running is that hopefully we have people that are not um, disrupting their lives so much if they can actually get out pending, uh, having their case pending uh, instead of sitting in jail. I think the big thing is with the $7 million that instead of using in the Department of Corrections to warehouse people that would be overflow to our system and instead investing that into community behavioral health. Um, hopefully once we get that up and running with the help of the Department of Human Services, we will be able to see that we actually are um, providing some services, higher level services, and then those lower level services like peer support and case management, even in the most rural areas of our state, which I think is a, a critical piece of keeping people um, in the community instead of locking them up and, and hoping that um, they get better. Well, I want to stay with this topic. Um, I'm very interested in seeing some of the results that this is going to produce because I think they're going to be positive. Leanne, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's Leanne Birch, Director of the Department of Corrections. More to come straight ahead here on The Rob Report, 701-293-9000, We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Tweet me at Rob Port. Natil, I got to tell you, some of the, when, when I'm reading this stuff about what the legislature passed, Governor Doug Burgum signed into law, when I'm hearing uh, our, our guest from the previous segment, Leanne Birch, Director of the Department of Corrections, the stuff that they're talking about, this is exciting reform. I am very excited about this. I think it's a big deal. I, I would agree with you, and I think that this is one area that we, not only as a state, but as a country, need to see some immediate reform in. So the fact that it's the fact that it's happening happening locally gives me hope that the trend might continue through the federal areas as well. I, I mean, think about it. Like, if you get the the pretrial stuff, I, I think is very important, right? Because if you get accused of a crime, and I. 
I have worked on criminal defense teams in in the past um, as a <laughs> as a low level flunky. I, I'm not trying to self aggrandize here, but you know, I worked on these teams. I I saw the people that we work for, and a lot of people who get accused of a crime, even if they're ultimately committed, still end up spending a lot of time in jail because. They get, you know, after they get arrested, they get put there. Maybe they can't afford the bond. Maybe the court doesn't allow them bond. Whatever the case may be, even if you're ultimately found innocent of a crime or found not guilty, I guess is the more accurate way to put it, you could still spend a lot of time in jail. So, I mean, if there's a way to look at, you know, maybe we don't need to keep like nonviolent people in jail while their trial's going on. I mean, just stuff like that, I, I think could not only reduce our costs, right? Because if they're not in jail, that means that the taxpayers aren't paying to feed them and secure them and all that kind of stuff, their medical care. Um, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. That could lower our costs. And also, it doesn't necessarily disrupt the life of the person. You know, they could still maybe hold down a job while they're going through this. That may still be tough. I mean, if you're on trial for a crime, maybe it's tough to still hold down a job, but it's impossible to hold down a job if you're in jail um also i think asking the questions about you know people who are in jail for like substance abuse things you know maybe you you possessed a drug you were found to be using a drug or whatever uh, there are instances where people like that maybe prison isn't necessarily the right place for them maybe uh, you know addiction treatment is the right place for them. And I'm not saying remove accountability. I'm not saying remove the consequences. If you, break the, if you break the law, you break the law. There should be consequences. But maybe the best consequence for every crime is not necessarily jail or prison. That's the big one for me, is that I think that rehab needs to happen for most of these drug users and not jail because a lot of times you end up with somebody that goes into jail and their only offense is being caught with possess- being caught possessing or using an, Ill- an illegal substance. And then they get into jail and jail hardens them and they come out more of a criminal than they were when they went in. And then they just end up back in the system for worse crimes in the future. And you can stop that cycle by just giving that person the help they need to get off the substance that they right. probably really don't want to be on in the first place right. because it's destroying their life. It's destroying their social life, their family life, their job life. It's eating away all of their finances. Nobody wants that. We, I, as, as when I was working uh, as a private investigator, I worked on the defense team for a man who was accused of uh, uh, a very, a very a, a felonious crime. Uh, he was accused of, of rape, actually, and was ultimately acquitted. Um, ultimately, it was proved beyond a shadow of the doubt that his accuser lied. This was proven in court. He was released, but ultimately that trial drug out for so long, that whole process drug out for so long, he ended up have, have, having been in jail, even though he was ultimately found innocent beyond a shadow of the doubt, had been in jail for two years. That happens all the time in the criminal justice system and it's that's life shattering i mean when you go even if you're found innocent how do you get a job what have you been doing the last two years well i was in jail pending trial for rape i was found innocent but you know boy that's a tough thing to overcome in your life so there's that there's the the mental health treatment by the way something that that uh leanne mentioned during her segment 
uh, is that, and, and she didn't spend a lot of time on it, but I think it's just a hugely relevant data point, is that judges in the state of North Dakota have said that they are sending people to jail because that's the best way to get them mental health services. Because, you know, they can't afford it on their own or there's no social program on their own, you know, that they can get it. So the judge is saying, well, if I sentence them to, to prison, then they'll get the treatment while they're in prison. And that's a really bad way to send somebody to prison. Bad reason to send somebody to prison. So I don't know. I think it's good. I look forward to tracking this policy. I think it's going to pay off for our state in a big way. Property taxes coming up next. State Representative Jim Casper from Fargo on the program. I'm Rob Port. We'll be right back. She's putting up her hair. She's touring the facility and picking up slack. I wanna go. Welcome back, Rob Report here on 970 WDAY. Don't have our guest yet, uh, State Representative uh, Jim Casper. We're trying to get him on the line. But uh, we'll continue on, and uh, we'll get him on just as soon as we can. 701-293-9000 if you want to join in. 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com or tweet me at Rob Port. Um Kind of an interesting thing going on. You know, Governor Doug Burgum, when he campaigned last year, he had a uh, he, he signed a couple of pledges saying that he wasn't going to raise taxes. Uh, in March of last year, he signed a pledge circulated by a group of NDGOP district leaders, which stated that he would, quote, oppose and veto any and all efforts to increase taxes or user fees. Uh, in May of last year, during the campaign, Burgum also signed a pledge from Americans for Tax Reform, a group founded by uh, conservative activist Grover Norquist, uh, who has kind of made uh, pledges against tax hikes famous. Uh, He signed both of those pledges. Um, Burgum said in a statement when he signed the latter pledge, quote, it is important that voters know unequivocally that as governor, I will never raise taxes. Well, that brings me to House Bill 1178. It's been passed by both the House and the Senate and if it becomes law, it would institute a fifty cent per connection fee on assessed on what's called assessed communication services. Uh, that means a software service, communication connection, cable or broadband transport facilities, or a combination of these facilities uh, between a build, retail, end user, and a service provider's network. Basically, your cell phones and stuff like that. Uh, it would include telephone exchanges. Uh, wireless service, voice over IP, so like Skype and stuff like that. Um, and it would fund a, a new fund called the State Interoperable Radio Network. Uh, would be maintained, or, uh, I guess, overseen by the Chief Information Officer of the Information Technology Department. Uh, it would allow um, grants, gifts, other services made available for statewide interoper- interoperable radio network. Now, the people in law enforcement I've spoken to say this is needed. We need upgrades to our radios, which I I, I don't necessarily disagree with. Uh, You know, if we need to fund this, this is maybe the right way to do it. But it does amount, the fiscal note attached to the the legislation prepared by Legislative Council says that this is a tax hike coming in at over $10 million for the 2017-2019 biennium. Sure sounds like a tax increase to me. So now I'm wondering... What's Governor Doug Burgum going to do? 
On one hand, he campaigned last year on the idea that he wasn't going to raise taxes. I'll go back and read his statement from May of last year. I quote, it is important that voters know unequivocally that as governor, I will never raise taxes. I am proud to be the first candidate in this campaign to sign the Taxpayer Protection Pledge. We could solve our current budget challenges by reining in our spending and right-sizing state government. That's what he said back during the campaign. Well, now he's got a bill on his desk. It's a $10 million tax increase unequivocally. And while it might be going to a good cause, heck, I support it. I think it's probably the right move. But then I'm not a candidate who on the campaign trail said I would never raise taxes. It's probably why politicians should never say never, right, Natil? I mean, I, I... I feel like that's always not a smart thing to do when you're a politician and you say you're never going to do something. It's not a smart thing to do no matter who you are. Speaking in absolutes puts you in a very difficult place because eventually something's going to come up and you're going to be like, oh, well, you know, maybe that absolute idea I had wasn't the best idea in this specific scenario. But I said it. Yeah. So that's the thing is he said never going to raise taxes, never going to raise fees. And, I mean, when he said that, I was a little taken aback. I mean, that is a very broad statement. And the problem is, how do you – I mean, not even fees. So, like, you know, it, I, you know, if, if we – I mean, we can't raise hunting license fees, right? Now, I, that's controversial policy, and I don't know. You know, we could have a debate about whether or not they should be raised, but you're saying that that never during the eight years of your governorship are you going to even consider possibly raising the fee for what it costs to, you know, become a licensed barber (laughs) or, you know, get a fishing license or, you know, the fee that you pay on your phone line to to fund uh, 911 services. Also, by the way, in addition to the 50 cent per uh, connection fee, uh, it's also an increase uh, from 2% to 2.5% on the gro- grocery seats of sellers and all sales at retail of prepaid wireless services. So that's also a part of this bill. Um, I mean, really, it, it just kind of goes back. And, and listen, I I like Governor Doug Burgum as, as governor, as a leader for our state. I think he's a good one. I think he's doing a good job. I think we've still... I think I think it's particularly once we get past this current budget situation, I think we're going to see a lot of ideas and a lot of reforms coming from his office that make a lot of sense. I think what this situation illustrates is kind of the absurdity of his campaign last year, and I feel a little vindicated in it because I got a lot of flack from a lot of people who thought that I was being too tough on Doug Burgum because I didn't like his campaign, and I really didn't like his campaign. It seemed shallow at times it seemed manipulative it seemed um i don't know for somebody who was campaigning as i'm not a politician it seemed a very very sort of cookie cutter politician thing like he's this is a guy who doesn't have any governing track record who's running against somebody uh you know at the time uh established politicians uh, attorney general wayne stenjum state representative rick becker who had actual governing track records and so Bergam, in a lot of ways, was left free to just kind of say whatever he needed to say to get the voters on his side. And he did that, and he won in a landslide, and now the realities of governing aren't exactly matching up with his campaign promises, which I seem to remember being something that I said back then. 
and I got beat over the head with it by all the people who were supporting Doug Burgum. And listen, I get it why those people like Burgum. I like Burgum. I think he's going to be a good candidate overall. But, man, his campaign sucked. <laughs> it really did. I didn't like it at all. 701-293-9000, I don't think we're going to hear from Representative Casper. I don't know. I, I do know uh, things are very fluid down in Bismarck. It may not be his fault. Things are very fluid down in Bismarck. Uh, so they may be in, in floor. I guess I don't know. They may be in floor session or he may be in a committee hearing or something like that. Things very fluid down there. So I, I, I knew booking the interview with him would maybe be uh, maybe be a little bit a little bit chancy. So we're going to take a break. We'll come back. We'll see if we get him. Otherwise, open phone, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report here on 970 WDAY. Call in 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. It's a toll-free number. Email talk at WDAY.com. Just uh, just got word the uh, North Dakota House passes the state takeover of county social services. That bill now heads to Governor Doug Burgum's desk, which I, I'm pretty sure he included that when he made tweaks to uh, Governor Jack Dalrymple's budget proposal for the current biennium. I'm pretty sure that was in there. So Burgum's probably going to sign that. The state's going to take over social services. Um, that's one part of the property tax. I mean, obviously, the social services that the legislature is taking over, those are currently funded by property taxes. So that is spending a spending burden that is being lifted off the property tax base and put into the state budget. Um which is good as far as that goes. The problem is, is I think the cost of this is about $160 million. The property tax buy-downs the legislature was doing was worth about $270 million. So there's still about a $110 million gap in property taxes where if the legislature doesn't pass some sort of a new buy-down or something, that $110 million, that's going to be a fall short, and local governments are probably going to respond to that by raising your property taxes and honestly i think that is probably one of the big risks that republicans face heading into this election cycle first of all we're probably going to have a competitive statewide race for once that's a pretty been a pretty unusual thing in north dakota democrats haven't mounted many uh competitive statewide races in a long time so for once democrats will have a candidate on the statewide ballot capable of turning their people out and maybe even peeling off some Republican voters. Heidi Heitkamp certainly, um, when she got elected in 2012, there were a lot of people who voted for Republicans and Heidi Heitkamp on that ballot. So that's a good thing for Democrats. And also Democrats, I think, can rightly point to Republicans and say that they have not handled the budget situation well. Republicans overspent. Now, the problem with that as a political talking point is the reality is, while a lot of spending cuts in that make headlines, most North Dakotans aren't impacted by them. And indeed, a lot of North Dakotans in this red state probably see those cuts as necessary. 
if you're going to say that Republicans spent too much during the oil boom years, and they did, then the appropriate thing to do is cut spending. So I don't think the spending cuts themselves as a talking point is going to be all that helpful as a political tool in the 2018 cycle because most of these spending cuts really aren't going to impact the day-to-day lives of most North Dakotans all that much. They just aren't. They just really aren't. What could impact a heck of a lot of North Dakotans and make them vote against Republicans is if they get tax increases on their property tax statements. And that is because Republicans foolishly decided to get in the property tax business to begin with. Property taxes are a tax levied by local governments. If your property tax bill is too high, the people you should talk to are the people in your local government. They're the ones who should be held responsible for that. But the state got in the business. They started trying to buy down tax property taxes, but now there's no money to keep those buy-downs going. And if they stop doing them, it's going to hit your property tax statement. There's enough money under current appropriations for the buy-downs to last through 2017, but 2018 is when the buy-downs will stop. What happens in 2018? Oh, that's right. We vote. And even if you get your property tax statements after the election, I think most people do, you can bet that the people campaigning against Republicans, that local leaders upset with Republican stewardship of the state budget and the property tax issue specifically, are going to remind voters of the coming tax increases. I mean, there is no issue in North Dakota like property taxes. Property taxes are on the minds of voters all the time. And this could be this could be a killer. This could be a hurt. I, I say killer. This could hurt Republicans. It really could. I just there's just no getting around it. Now, will it hurt enough for for the Democrats to take over a legislative chamber? That seems unlikely. I mean, I don't think Democrats have held the state House of Representatives since 1994, a majority. I don't think they've held the Senate since, like, the early 2000s. I'm forgetting which year, but it's been a long time. Decades. Maybe not decades for the Senate. Decades for the House. They haven't won a statewide office since 2008. So, I don't think it's going to be enough to, like, turn the tide, but I expect Democrats are probably going to make up some ground this coming election cycle part of it being Heidi Heitkamp's on the statewide ballot she's going to bring a degree of competence to democratic campaigning that is missing in most cycles that she doesn't participate in Um, also Democrats don't really have anywhere else to go but up I mean at this point could you really imagine them losing more ground I mean they've got nine people in the state senate something's got to give so I think they're going to make up some ground and it won't be enough, but maybe it'll be enough to teach Republicans a lesson on the budget, on taxes. you got to be more careful. You wouldn't think that those would, be, those would be issues that you have to give Republicans a lesson on, right? I mean, the, the whole Republican mission, right, the whole ideology behind the party is supposed to be built around restrained government. But has anybody seen restrained government in the past several years? I mean, heck, Governor Doug Burgum campaigned on this last year. The biggest part of his campaign. He campaigned against runaway spending down in Bismarck from the good old boys club. Remember that? He was right. That's why voters voted for him in a landslide 
in both the primary and the general. It's a big deal. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. By the way, speaking of the 2018 election cycle, uh, I've, I've been digging through Senator. Remember a couple of weeks ago, Senator Heidi Heitkamp was out and she leaked her fundraising numbers and it was like 1.6 million and she gave it to the national media and it got all sorts of attention. You know, the big fundraising number. And meanwhile, Kevin Kramer hadn't raised anywhere near that much money. The reason why politicians do that, why they leak their finances early before they post their actual report to the FEC, right? The report that Senator Heitkamp was talking about was her April quarterly report. And she, you know, someone, and it had to have been done with Heitkamp's permission, leaked that, you know, the actual, the top line dollar amount raised for the the quarter to the media before the actual report was put out for the public to see. And politicians do that because they want you to focus on that top number and maybe not the details of the report. By the time the report comes out, it's kind of old news, right? Well, I found a couple of interesting things in the 700-plus pages of Heitkamp's April quarterly for 2017, one of which is that just 6.8% of Heitkamp's itemized individual contributions came from North Dakota residents. Of Heitkamp's total fundraising number, Just 2.67% represented contributions from North Dakotans. How about that? Nearly half of Heitkamp's report contained contributions from political action committees back in 2013 before she was sworn into office after when she was just senator-elect Heitkamp. She said, I quote, when I go to Washington, I'm not going to be for any special interests. I'll be for the interests of North Dakota. says the person who just got 2.67% of her last fundraising report that she's been touting to the national media from North Dakotans. And, oh, by the way, Senator Heitkamp collected more money for political action committees in the first quarter of 2017 than any other North Dakota candidate for federal office recorded in any quarter or any election cycle reported online by the FEC. I'm not kidding. Go check it out at sayanythingblog.com. I got all the reports and all the data there. Thanks for listening. Jay Thomas Show, straight ahead. I'll be sticking around for that. You can always catch me here Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. Baby, my mom.